The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Well, thank you very much, Gregor, for reading for us. One of the challenges of uh, watching at home is the level of distraction. I know I found it hard to concentrate. Um, Top tips are, one, put your phone out of reach. I think we found that one helpful at home. And uh, two, have the Bible open in front of you. That's a a helpful aid to you as we look at this passage together. And obviously the words disappear from the screen and and we can see them in the text. It's much more helpful and easy for us to concentrate on what's going on. So there's just a couple of tips for you. Um, But above all, we need the Lord's help. And so let me pray as we begin together. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this passage in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who both authored your word but also uh, illuminates your word to us in our hearts, helps us to understand. And so Lord, we ask for the help of your spirit that we would see clearly what your word says, that we'd understand it well and that as a result we would rejoice in the good news of your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. How can we be happy? How can we know real joy in our lives? Joy that really lasts. Joy that surpasses the challenges and the anxieties and the pain. We all want that, but how can we get that? And it seems to me that that is a question that many people are asking at the moment. Many, of course, in our world are unhappy, have little joy. And part of the reason for that, of course, is that they're finding that the things that that they relied on to make them happy, uh, they're no longer able to do or have access to. But that desire for happiness isn't peculiar to lockdown, is it? Isn't it always true that any happiness that we find is somewhat fleeting? Just seems to kind of slip 
through our fingers. Can we find real happiness in this life? Is there a joy to be had that will satisfy us even in the midst of pain and hardship? The Bible says yes. The Bible doesn't deny the real difficulties of life and the pain of suffering and suffering of life that many people face. But it does say that there is a joy to be had, a joy that is deep and full and lasting. And Luke, in his gospel account, begins to point us to the source of that joy. You may have noticed, just as our passage was read for us, that it really is one of, that's full of joy, full of rejoicing. We're going to take it in two parts, uh, verse 39 to 45, and then verse 46 to 56. And on the sermon sheet, which you can access under the YouTube link, uh, there are a couple of headings if you'd like to make some notes. First of all, verse 39 to 45, we come across a scene of joyful encounters. An old woman... Elizabeth is sitting in her cottage by the fire. As she sits, she stares into the flames and she smiles and she strokes her growing belly in amazement at what God has done for her. A baby. And at her age, who would have thought it? After so many years of painful waiting, God has provided a miracle and she is six months in already. Meanwhile, Mary, a teenage girl, makes her way across the hills. She too is expecting, but no one knows that yet. It's, the news is just days old. She smiles to herself. It's too wonderful what she knows now. God has done the impossible, for she, a virgin, is now with child. It's just amazing. But far more... What privilege God has given to her, entrusting her with his son. The angel Gabriel, who had told Mary the news, had also told her that her relative, a cousin maybe, Elizabeth, was pregnant too. And it was a sign of encouragement to her that her news was really true. And so Mary rushes to see her, to share with her in the joyful news. But I wonder if you notice that this isn't just a joyful encounter by the two expecting mothers. It's also a meeting of joy for the babies that they bear. Let's look at it again, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Seems full of joy, but look closely at it. What is the source of joy that we find here? Mary enters the house, she greets Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth hears Mary, it's the baby in her womb that responds with a great leap of joy. Now, why is that? I mean, a skeptic would say, well, you know, babies kick all the time in the womb, and surely this is just that. But actually, Luke wants us to see that there's more than that going on. Just have a look back with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 14, if you have a Bible uh, with you. There, the angel is speaking about Elizabeth's birth to Zechariah. Verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. That's John's birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. The baby John, inside Elizabeth's womb, is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we have told And so here's what Luke is revealing to us. The baby John, when he comes into proximity to the baby Jesus, he jumps for joy. His joy comes from God the Holy Spirit who recognises God the Son, whom he's known for eternity in heaven, has now come near on earth. In utero, the Spirit knows the Son and rejoices, and causes the baby to rejoice. The source of joy, then, is that the Son of God has come. That's the point. And if we are any doubt about that, uh, we are taught by Elizabeth, who's also filled with the Spirit of God. Do you notice that Mary doesn't speak in this scene? She's not showing her pregnancy yet. But Elizabeth knows what's happening. She's given insight by the Spirit as to what's going on. And she is our teacher by the inspiration of that Spirit. She echoes what Gabriel's told Mary, that Mary is truly blessed by God in his grace. She tells us that Mary is blessed because she believed God's word spoken through the angel. But look at what the Spirit, through Elizabeth sees as the true source of blessing, the true source of joy. Elizabeth forgets her own news, joyful as that is. She rejoices at Mary's news, but be clear, it's not Mary. It's not that Mary's pregnant. It's not even Mary's faith. Wonderful that those things are. It is who she is pregnant with that is the true source of joy and blessing. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me, she says. What are we being taught? This is the source of true, deep, lasting joy. Joy that outshines all the other joys that this world holds for us that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John and Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, rejoice at the arrival of Jesus in Mary's womb. 
It's the tiny fetus in the womb of Mary that is the source of such rejoicing. And rightly so, for his coming means our salvation and our blessing, if we too will believe God's word about him. See, God has come to humanity in Jesus Christ. So rejoice. God has chosen to send his son to this world. And he sends him to people with nothing to offer. No status, no power, no wealth, no great intellect. Just ordinary folk like most of us. Aren't we too, with Elizabeth, just amazed that Jesus would come to us? Let us rejoice at his arrival. An encounter with Jesus is the source of real joy in this world. End of scene. Luke is a bit different to some of the other gospel writers. He's not like Mark who wants us to jump from action to action to action. He wants us to slow down. He wants us to slow down and reflect on what has happened so far. And so he puts in his account an interlude. And it's a musical interlude. And here we come to our second section, verse 46 to 56, a song of joy, full praise. Now, Christmas seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, It was actually just a month ago tomorrow. That's all it was. Now, in our house, we have various things that excite us about Christmas in the build-up. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit. I'm excited about the food, the expectation of the food, pretty much. Our kids are excited about the tree and the prospect of presents. And my wife, Jo, she really likes the Christmas music. In fact, she doesn't really feel like Christmas is upon us until she puts on her best Christmas party ever CD. We still use CDs. Now, the result, of course, is that we all have Christmas songs going around our head all the time. Um, But put that aside for one moment. In fact, one of the the favourites is uh, this one. Now, I'm not allowed to sing it, so don't don't worry um, because of the restrictions. But here's the lyrics. The weather outside is frightful. The fire is so delightful. And since we've got no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Now, has that ever been more appropriate than in lockdown? We've got no place to go, so let it snow. Well, that's what's happened, isn't it? Not at Christmas, but just this week. Christmas music is one of the highlights of the festival. Whether it's the cheesy pop tunes that you like, like my wife, or whether it's the wonderful carols. See, music and song seem to accompany Christmas so well, don't they? And it's always been that way. The Gospel writer Luke absolutely agrees. In his account of the very first Christmas, he records four songs, almost an album. Mary and Zacharias in chapter 1, and the angels and Simeons in chapter 2. Now, we don't know the, the tunes, but we do know the lyrics because Luke has set them down for us. Now, some people have questioned whether a teenage girl like Mary could come up with this. I think that's a bit disrespectful to teenage girls. But it also, it also assumes that it's some kind of spontaneous uttering. It doesn't have to be like that. We're told that Mary 
uh, remained with Elizabeth for three months, um, at least until the birth of John. And it seems, I think, that she used that time really well. She wrote a song. And this song uh, is sometimes called the Magnificat, and that's just taken from the first word, to magnify, uh, to glorify, to praise. Her song is a song full of joy and praise. One commentator called this the last of the Old Covenant Psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. I quite like that. What strikes you about it, though, is that you've heard all these phrases before. It's absolutely soaked in Old Testament scripture. Each line's taken from somewhere in the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way through the Psalms, all the way through uh, the prophets. And for those of us who were here uh, last term, where we looked at 1 Samuel, it may well remind you of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. Mary's knowledge of what was happening was not insignificant. She knew what Gabriel had told her, of course, but she also had her Bible. She took the time to look back on what God had said and done in the past in his word. And she realised that what was happening in her own life was fulfilling the great promises of old in the scriptures. Let's listen together to her voice. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. There are three big themes in her song of joyful praise. And the first one is this. Praise God for he lifts up the humble. Praise God, for he lifts up the humble. She begins by praising God. She magnifies him, rejoices in him. He's chosen her by his grace to bear his son, and there can be no greater blessing in all of history than that. But look at what she understands this blessing to mean. It means salvation. God, my saviour, is the one in whom she rejoices. She sees that in the birth of this child, God has provided salvation for her, her who has such a humble estate, who has nothing to offer God in return. But look at, too, about how this first part works. She begins with reference to what God has done for her personally. It's, it's my but then she expands to what God is doing for all his people. She's, she's looking beyond, beyond the gift that God gave to her and, and she sees that, that this child is in fact a gift that's given to all people. 
He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation all the way up to today. See, the effect is that we can sing this song with her. We too can rejoice in, the God, in God our Saviour, in the salvation that comes to us through the child that Mary bore. And we can do that because of his mercy. God is merciful to those who know that they have nothing to offer him. His mercy is for the humble, for those who fear him. And this is the thread that's picked up throughout the song. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant, verse 48. His mercy is for those who fear him, verse 50. Verse 52 and 53. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant, Israel, in remembrance of his mercy. Mary praises God because in his mercy, God lifts up the humble and saves them. And what joy there is in that truth. But there's also the flip side. That God brings down the proud. Now the proud are those that think much of themselves. Whose trust is in themselves and not in God. And she picks up in her song of three things that the proud trust in. Their intellect, their power, and their wealth. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, their intellect. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, their power. And the rich he has sent away empty, their wealth. She's looking back through Israel's history. She's seeing all those who have opposed God, all who have oppressed God's people, and she sees how God has dealt with such haughty rebellion against him in the past, that all who oppose God are brought low eventually. But she now sees that in the birth of this child, God is now about to turn the world on its head. The king has come to reverse the values of this world. He's come to the humble. He's come to the uneducated. To the powerless and the poor. It is they who will be exalted while the proud will be brought low. And she praises God that he does this for his people. He brings low those who proudly oppose him And he lifts up those who humbly come to him for mercy. Now this is not just the theme of this song. These are the themes of Jesus' life and ministry. It's a a great theme of Luke. I would encourage you to, as we preach through this series, for you to be reading this uh, book on, on your own. And as you read throughout the book... Watch for those who come to Jesus in faith. Watch for those whom Jesus saves. What you will notice is that it is always the humble. It's always those who know that they have nothing to offer him. It so often tends to be the poor, the needy. It's the sick, the suffering, 
It's the sinners, those who know that they deserve God's wrath and need his mercy. Those are the ones who tend to come and trust in Jesus. Those are the ones who find their joy in him. Watch how many go away from Jesus rejoicing. Now, it's possible to be poor and proud, of course, and to reject Jesus' offer of salvation. Many do. But it's still true that those who know that they can offer Jesus nothing are the ones who find it easier to receive his mercy. And read Luke's account, and you will find that it is often the privileged proud who tend to reject Jesus, who so often hate him. The intellectual elite, the powerful, the rich, they do not think that they need a God of mercy. They want a God who will pat them on the back and say, well done you. They can't take a God who says they need to humble themselves before him. There's no interest in a God like that. A God who came to save them? No thank you, I'm fine. But what if you're rich? Or you're powerful? Or you're highly educated? It's only hope for you if this is the way things work. Well, just remember a couple of things. One, Luke himself was a doctor. And that was a well-paid job, even in those days. Theophilus, to whom he was writing, was a wealthy and powerful man. And so people in that position, those kinds of positions, must pay particular attention to what we see in Luke. Luke writes from that perspective, in a sense. He wants us to see that it is the pride that so often comes from that kind of privilege that presents a barrier to accepting the salvation that Jesus offers. It is only the rich and powerful who humble themselves who can be saved. Zacchaeus is the great example in Luke's Gospel. Here's a guy who thinks much of himself. He has power over his poor neighbours. He is wealthy at their expense. And he cannot come to Jesus unless he comes down off his perch. Yet when he does, when he humbles himself before Jesus, what does he find? He finds mercy. Jesus says to him at the end of that episode, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus finds real joy in humbling himself before Christ. Jesus Christ would say this a couple of times in this gospel, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm sure it's something he heard his mother say. Jesus, of course, does not ask us to do anything that he won't do himself. The truly great one, full of wisdom and power, the great king of the universe, will humble himself even to death. And death on a cross, 
only to be lifted up by God and be exalted once more. Mary praises God out of her understanding of all that God has said in the scriptures, that this is how her God works, that he brings down the proud and lifts up the humble. Now there's one final thing that she understands. It's one final note in her song. And we find it in our final verses, verse 54 to 55. She praises God for he keeps his covenant promises. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now we live in a world, of course, where promises don't mean very much. Whether it's politicians in their manifestos or advertisers in their sales pitches, promises we come across are often taken with a pinch of salt by us, aren't they? Well, there are the promises that our parents make but don't keep. And the promises that our spouses make on wedding days which don't last. And for ourselves, we so often fail to keep our promises, don't we? We say them with good intentions, but we can't follow them up. Our world is full of broken promises and failed commitments. And we are part of the problem, if we're honest. And that can make us cynical and can make us untrusting And it can make us miserable. But praise God, he always keeps his word. Mary takes us back at the close of her song to the scriptures, this time to Genesis. And she recalls the covenant promises of God to Abraham. It's a promise that God will bless his people. And that his people will be a people from all the nations of the earth, and Mary sees by faith that the child that she now bears means that that promise is now being fulfilled. God's keeping his promise. He's not forgotten about his plan to save, his plan to bless, his plan to show mercy and to bring joy to all those who humble themselves before him. And so she sings. In a cynical world full of broken promises, she sings of the God who keeps his word. She rejoices in him, knowing that he has done what he said he would do, that in Jesus all the promises of God are fulfilled. As we close, here is what we are to do. We are to sing with her. Mary writes this song not for herself alone, but for us to sing it after her. And we have much to sing about. In the coming of Jesus, we discover that the joy that God shows, the joy that God shows mercy to those of humble estates, that he lifts them up, that he brings down the proud and all who oppose him. And we discover the joy that in Jesus, God has kept his promises to save his people Knowing all this produces in us a joy that is deep, that is full, and that is lasting, and a joy that's worth singing about. Let's pray together before we sing.
Lord God, we in our hearts sing with Mary, we magnify the Lord. We rejoice in you, God our Saviour. For you have looked on the humble estates of your servants and you have lifted us up through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you. And we ask that you, as we go through this week and this month and, and all this, and this year, no matter how challenging it may be, may be, we pray that by your Spirit we might know this kind of joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.